In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, we are going to cover the rookies and who's rising and who has kind of fallen off or maybe hit the rookie wall. We haven't done a rookie podcast in a while. We've been focusing on the the NBA the 2023 NBA draft. We've been focusing on the tournament, but the rookies is always a, a favorite amongst our listeners. Uh, so, right one, two. In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, we will discuss the 2022 NBA draft class. We will talk about the top rookies, who is rising, who has hit the rookie wall, and, and maybe even who is expected to have a big sophomore season next year. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, with my co-host for today, Richard Stamen, Mr. Mavs Draft. And we are going to discuss the 2022 rookie class, which is it's crazy that the NBA season is almost over. I feel like there's maybe four or five games for some teams, maybe a little bit more than that. I think for the Mavs, there's only like three home games left which is crazy that they might not make the playoffs and i'm used to seeing like the the media at the Mavs game and i was obviously expecting for a deep playoff run this year but richard first of all how are you doing and i wanted to get your opinion on which rookie has surprised you the most this season i've uh i've been doing okay kind of like you hinted at um i think i was doing better before uh this weekend you know the Mavs blowing back-to-back leads or it's not not leads they never led uh back-to-back games against the Charlotte Hornets who are one of four teams right now to be eliminated from the playoffs so that was uh that was really disappointing the Mavs suddenly are a threat to be in the draft which is both good and bad for me so that's uh that's been simultaneously very interesting I think the most recent rookie, though, kind of staying with Charlotte, that's really caught my attention. Mark Williams, that dude has been playing really, really well. One of the things I noticed, so I was at the game on Friday against the Hornets, is with Mark Williams, I remember at, at the Combine, his standing reach, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I know it was number one in the in the draft his standing reach was ridiculously on display. I mean, it it was nine foot nine. So he only has to jump three inches to touch the rim. And it was really on display. It was something where I felt like, all right, I see how he uses that reach so well at the rim on both ends. He's someone who I could see becoming a a big sophomore jump next year. Yeah, I agree. And I remember during the combine, this is when I first started like talking to different scouts about their um, workouts that, that they had. Um, the individual workouts with teams and I won't mention the team, but there was a guy who was like, I put him through his workout and he said that he was the best player that his team worked out. And he said that, unfortunately, the team is not going to draft him. He thought it was a mistake. And he mentioned to me that he thinks Mark Williams is going to be able to shoot threes by his sophomore season, sophomore season in, in NBA. And the games that you've watched, has he been able to show any flashes of touch? I mean, I haven't looked for it. He's taken zero threes, but 
the thing that sticks out to me is always free throw percentage. He shoots 68% from the line. It's a really low sample size still. I think it's something where I don't think it's that quick, but I do think by the end of his rookie contract, we're looking at a guy who is kind of like Aiden in that regard where, you know, if he's trying to take a three, it's not a terrible shot and you're open for him doing it probably in the first or second quarter. But I just still don't want him in doing it in the fourth quarter, but I do think there is real shooting touch there. I agree with that scout. Yeah, I saw something that also said that Charlotte has like the best defensive rating in the NBA since the All-Star break, which makes me wonder, like, and I mean, we did these episodes months ago. Why wasn't he playing at the beginning of the season? Like, I thought he should have been their starter from day one. Yeah, I mean, I think they they weirdly handled his season from October to December. First of all, I thought it was weird they didn't draft Duran Dern over him, excuse me. But I think they made a fine enough decision where you're not questioning that. But yeah, it is weird that he didn't play. Charlotte is a match made in heaven. I think for Mark Williams, something I didn't even consider, let's say this says I'm wearing an Orlando Magic shirt, is Steve Clifford's a great defensive coach. I think that's a big product of him. Mark Williams has missed some time, so it's not all him. But when Mark Williams plays, that defense is electric. And I think next year when you get him from October to March, really April, sorry, from October to April, you're going to be looking at a high-level defensive player that's going to protect the rim, not a liability on the perimeter, and he's going to be averaging probably a double-double. Yeah, another rookie that I want to talk about who I've been wondering why he was not in the rotation early in the season is Jaden Hardy. Hardy has been really good. I don't think Kidd wants to play him, but he's been kind of forced to play him in a sense. And I talked to Jaden's dad at a game uh, last week, and I was like, the thing that I really admire about him is that he never lost confidence. Like, it's so easy for a rookie, especially being that young, to lose confidence when you don't know when you're going to play. You know, you may play 20 minutes one game, and then you may not play again for the next two weeks. And he has been completely the same player in a sense, just kind of like in a good way, in a rational confidence guy, like the coach can't shake his confidence. He continues to play the same way. And when he's had minutes, he's made the most of them. And I think he should be in the rotation for the rest of the way out. Tell me your thoughts on, on Jaden Hardy. Yeah. Victory lap for you is very much in line, uh, especially compared to our hot takes thread. Uh, I don't even want to say repeat what I had said last year, but I was very out on Jaden Hardy and I was just wrong. I didn't know how to evaluate the G League elite or I'm sorry, Ignite properly. Um, but with Hardy for me, I just, I tweeted something out Monday night about his catch and shoot versus off the dribble three numbers. And it just proves why he's such a good fit in Dallas catch and shoot 38 of 91. That's 41.8% from three. Off the dribble, he's 18 of 44. That's 40.9% from three. The dude's an efficient three-point shooter. It wouldn't shock me if he's consistently in the 40% range for the rest of his career, really, from three. I mean, just flirting with that every single year, whether it's 38, 42, somewhere in between that range, feels like it's a, a nice mix, and I'm I'm happy to be wrong. Yeah, I talked to a scout, and I was like, man, why did Hardy fall? I said, was it Intel? I like, what exactly is the reason? And he said that NBA scouts had a hard time and still do have a hard time evaluating the G League, say it's so new. And he felt that last year teams 
really didn't know what to do with Hardy's offensive numbers because he was so inefficient. And they took the defensive guys because they thought they were safer. Talking about uh, uh, Dyson Daniels and Marjan, uh, Beauchamp. They said they thought they were safer. And he was like, you know, mistakes were definitely made in, in passing up Hardy. So a question for you is how has Hardy's success made you change your, your thought process regarding young scores that may have been inefficient or even with the G league. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read over my scouting report and I just, I didn't get it accurately at the first step. I thought was a little bit subpar. It wasn't, that was something I just think I misevaluated on that. That's outright. But with the G league elite, or I keep saying that the G league ignite, excuse me, they, they just, the system doesn't seem like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, they, they have talent and they run on that. And I, that's just not how the NBA works. And I think that threw me off a little bit. For going forward, though, I really undervalued the element of professionalism that they developed there. I think that's a big thing we've heard about where these guys, any interview, you hear it. These guys are learning to be pros rather than just professional basketball players. They're learning to actually be professionals on mm -hmm. and off the court, which is really valuable. And I think that's why Jaden Hardy has been able to overcome that, you know, the first two months, he was irrelevant. They tried him out for the rotations a little bit. He was kind of bad, just no way to mask it. He was bad at defense. His scoring wasn't there. And he comes back, he goes to the Legends in the G League, comes back in January, and he has been a constant in the rotation since. And I think that's something, if he went from high school to college to the NBA, I don't know if that adjustment's that easy for him. I think he he knew what he had to do, what he was getting from it, and just that that off the court stuff, the development and the coaching, the stuff they have there is really beneficial for Jaden Hardy and, and future G League Ignite players. His dad mentioned that it was part of the physicality in the G League. Not saying that the G League is like this extremely physical league, but he said that he was, you know, a kid in a sense playing against grown men. And, you know, the, the bumping and, 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 you know, fighting through screens and all that. And he, he said that he was getting worn out and it affected his shots a little bit because his arms were tired just because he was bumping and he didn't know how to navigate uh, screens and avoid contact. And his dad is just like, he's, he's still the same player. Cause I was asking like, what's the difference? Cause if you look at the numbers in the G league, it was like 35% last year. Then this year it's like, what, 29 points a game, close to like 50, 40, 90. He's like, he just got better at knowing how to, you know, avoid contact and and, and not being so worn out and, and being able to just still shoot the ball. And so I, I thought that was like a tremendous jump he made because if you look at the stats from last year to this year in the G League, it's totally different. And he's actually a better player in the NBA this year than he was in the G League last year. So that one year of experience was like really, really, really beneficial. All right, when we return, we'll talk about Paolo Bencaro, who is the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year. But there is another rookie that's creeping up on him. But for now, let's talk about FanDuel because there's no better place to get the action than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com 
slash locked on and sign up today and claim your no sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to the point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net in the final four. It's all on the app. It's safe. It's secure and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at the no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, second segment. This is Raphael Barlow with Richard Stateman. We talked about Jaden Hardy. We talked about Mark Williams as rookies that are on the rise late in the season. But the guy that has been consistent and steady all throughout the year. Paolo Bancaro, who I mean, he should win Rookie of the Year by a landslide. I mean, I've seen some people say that somebody else may have a chance to catch him. What have you thought about Bancaro's play? Because he had a he had a rough was it February? He had a rough February. I saw something. I saw some stat. He was like one of thirty from three or something like that. And then he's totally picked it back up in March. So he hit the wall a little bit, but. What are your thoughts been on Ben Carroll? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, it was only 10 games in February 2nd, even last year. This is actually the, I made a very wrong decision on this, but last year in February, he shot under 40% from the field at Duke. And because of that, I dropped him down on my board. I was like, man, this could be a real red flag for Paolo. It wasn't. Um, so for me, I'm not worried about the 33 threes. He, he shot 3% from three, one of 33 um, but for me, it's just, even with that, he still averaged 17 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, three and a half, uh, assists and half a block, half a steal on third. It was not the greatest efficiency and he still got to the line. It was 37%, but, um, from the field, but since then he's really picked it up in March. He's back to 20 points a game on 44% shooting. And you know what? He's shooting 36% from three on multiple on this like way better volume too so i think it's an outlier if that's a reason for him not being rookie of the year it's 10 games like that that's ridiculous you know i'm the driving the bandwagon the band carol bandwagon i i'm a huge fan i had a chance to uh meet his father and all-star weekend and i guess it was all because of all the tweets and and all the pro band carol stuff that I said last year. Uh, the the funny thing that he, he said to me, he said, um, you know, when you're, and he's talking in, in reference to his son, he says, you know, when you're a, an athlete, if you're looking for motivation, all you have to do is go on Twitter and you can find plenty of motivation, especially during the draft process, because people are going to be arguing about you. And he had mentioned that he couldn't find I guess there's no motivation behind my tweets because I was arguing with people all last year about how I thought Ben Carroll was head and shoulders above the rest of the draft class. And I, I still feel that way, but let's talk about the guy that people think could be the runner up. He's kind of been rising as of late. Jalen Williams, J A L E N Jalen Williams from the Oklahoma city thunder. What, what have you thought about Williams? Yeah, so I mean, for those who don't know, the the reason why he's rising is he's just been phenomenal post All Star break. His his percentages are always, I mean, throughout the year he's been over fifty percent. Since the All Star break, he's at eighteen and a half points a game, five and a half over five and a half rebounds, four point four assists, also one point seven steals per game, and that's on fifty five percent shooting, forty five percent from three, eighty six percent from the line on good volume. 
So the stats are really there. He's making a run for, I, I would say he's been better than Van Caro in this stretch, which is absolutely no knock on Paolo. That's just how good Jalen Williams has been. Um, and also they're winning, they're winning games, but so are the Magic. I think people really dismiss that. Uh, the Magic only have a few fewer wins than them. So um, that's something that's swept under the rug. But for Jalen Williams, it's just that consistent efficiency is always there. He's, I think his worst month, he shot like 44% from the field. So he's just been a, a consistent three-level scorer. I really like what I've seen. All that to be said, he's not my rookie of the year just because of about two months of his span, really, of great basketball. Yeah, it, it's crazy that the Thunder, everybody, not everybody, but there are people who feel like the Thunder had this long rebuild and it's short. I mean, I think they made the playoffs in, what, 2020? And they're going to make it again in 2023. As of well, as of now, you know, with the West, you win a couple games, you can be in sixth place. You lose two games, you can be in eleventh place. But right now, as of right now, recording time, they are in the play-in game, and you have to take account for Jalen's role on a team that is basically a playoff team. Unfortunately, Orlando got off to such a terrible start. I think if you go from like December 1st to now, they're a playoff team. Um, I think as of, uh, they're not too far from uh, the Pacers. I think they were a half game behind, but Chicago's been winning. So it'll be almost tough for Orlando. It'll be pretty tough for Orlando to get into the 10th spot. But Markel Fultz has, has really made like a crazy impact for Orlando. All right, let's talk about Matherin. Matherin got off to a hot start, like scorching hot start, and he has since cooled off. Share your thoughts on 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 Matherin. Do you think the scouting reports caught up to him? Do you think it was the rookie wall? Halliburton missing games. What do you think is the reason why he had? I mean, he still had a really good year, but his numbers have tailed off some. Yeah, I mean, his. I think the three-point percentage is definitely the one that's dropped off, and that's a couple of things. I mean, teams are closing out a little bit harder. <clears throat> you know, Halliburton being hurt didn't do him any favors. Um, but I think it's a little bit of all of it, right? I mean, it's hard for guys to go from a 30-35 game season to 82. I mean, that's almost triple. So that's a, that's a lot, and I think – you know, that consecutive action, it caught up to him. The scouting report, like you said, caught up to him. And then what really piled on for him, where it would have been, you know, damage would have been done, but it escalated the damages just that Halliburton was out. And don't get me wrong, Andrew Nemhart has been great. I think he should be all rookie too. But I think just not having borderline elite point guard and all-star point guard in Tyrese Halliburton is the biggest one. Yeah, let's talk about Nemhart. He has really surprised people, and I thought he had a really good combine, and I remember tweeting out that there are some people that thought he could end up being a first-round pick, and now, based off of how he's played, he's definitely, or the Pacers definitely got first-round value for him. Are you surprised with how well he's played, or even how aggressive he's been as far as looking for a shot? Because that wasn't his thing at at Gonzaga or Florida. He was the guy that I feel like in college... No matter what, you can pencil him in for nine points, five assists every single night. I thought he was like the most consistent guy in college basketball the last couple of years. He didn't have big 20-point games and didn't have like low-scoring games. It was just always consistently like nine points. But now 
the last I looked, he had a stretch where he was averaging like 19 a game with Halliburton out. So has he caught you by surprise? Yeah, I, I think for the most part, I wish my big regret for Andrew Nemhard is at when he was at Florida after that first year, I was a big fan. And then I started thinking, eh, he's just Kendall Marshall. And that's just not what he was because I was like, if he can't shoot, I never really adjusted my scouting report my his first senior year when last year he shot 38% from three. He had like 87 or 85% from the line. I just didn't adjust to that. And I really did not expect his shooting to be this crisp, this good or this early. And, you know, it's not like great, but relative to where it was even two years ago, it's just worlds better. And so in a way I should have seen it coming, but also this good, this quick and this much volume is a bit surprising. I think a lot of it has to do with how good of a coach he has for his mold and Rick Carlisle. We've seen these guys for Rick Carlisle that, you know, heady players with great basketball IQ. They, they understand the next play before it happens. Good playmaker, good shooter, and just does his business, doesn't make mistakes. Those guys mesh with Rick Carlisle. And I think Carlisle has been able to draw up a system that really helps them hard too, which makes it even better for him. All right, when we return, I want to get your thoughts on his brother, even though we're talking about the rookies, but how Andrew's success may play a role in Ryan's draft stock, who has pretty much put himself in position to to possibly be drafted in 2023. Stay tuned. All right, last segment, we left off talking about Andrew Nimhart and his brother Ryan Nimhart, and Ryan caught my attention in the Maui Invitational, which was like Anthony Black coming out party. But I thought Ryan played really, really well in those games. I want to say he had 25 against Arizona and 20 against Arkansas, or maybe it's other way around, but I think he had over 40 points in two games. Had a solid season. Then he had a big game in the NCAA tournament. He's a little bit smaller than his brother. What do you think about Ryan, and has Andrew's success made you – give Ryan a little bit of a boost. Yeah, I, I'm not big on, you know, the siblings kind of stuff. I think he's a fine shooter. Nothing really like stands out for me in that regard. What worries me is that he's small and he doesn't finish at the rim. I think there's other small guards I would gamble on before him. I just, I worry about the offense translating to the NBA. Um, I think that, that those few inches of difference between him and Andrew were just a little bit too much for me. I think he's going to be fine. I think that he might be like Andrew. He might have more scoring than he's able to show, even though he has shown that he's a pretty good scorer in college, has four other guys on his team that I think are going to at least see the NBA at some point in their career. Um, playing with uh, Kalkbrenner and and um, Arthur Kaluma, I can't say there's a lot of spacing for him at the four and five where he can get a lot of clean looks. I think he's going to be fine. I talked to a scout recently and uh, he loves him. He said, this is his comparison. He said that he thinks Ryan Nimhart can play the Jose Alvarado role, a guy that comes in off the bench, picks up and is a pest. But he thinks that Ryan could be better than Alvarado because he could run a team. And the scout mentioned that New Orleans loves Alvarado, but they hate the fact that he does not know how to like run a team and they like Ryan. So um, let's talk about Jabari Smith. Jabari got off to a brutal start, has started to turn the corner as of late. 
and just wanted to hear your thoughts on Jabbar. Is it is he finally just kind of coming along, or is it a situation that we see every year in mid March, late March, April, where rookies just have this big bump? I know Rockets fans are probably not gonna like this, but I remember at this time last year, Jalen Green had some huge games at the end of the year. I want to say he had like some 30-point games, maybe a 40-point game or something like that. And not saying that Jalen hasn't had a successful sophomore season, but I don't think it's been as good as people thought. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of different factors around it with Houston who finally decided to bring in a veteran with like 10 games left in a year. But what are your thoughts on, on Jabari's second half of the season? Yeah, I, I do actually think Jalen Green did get better this year. It just got uh, minimized just by the fact that, I mean, the Houston situation is not good. Their coaching is bad. They don't have a point guard. Everybody's kind of filling in that role. And Jabari Smith has suffered because of that. For me, I don't see this. I see it a little bit. Yes, mid-March, guys get going. But he's been really good. There's been very real flashes, especially this month. I mean, even Monday night, he just had six assists. Um, he had 14 points, 11 rebounds. Like Things like that aren't an accident. So for me, I think there's enough real flashes. All it is with him, like if he was the guy who shot 35% from three, we wouldn't be talking about him as that disappointing. It's, it'd be, yeah, we wish we saw more, but he wasn't outright bad. Like There were times this year where he was outright bad. I would say really, if I'm not mistaken, it was like December, November were really rough. And I, I think this is just an, a correction for that. I think if he had a real point guard in Houston, we would be talking about uh, a three and D power forward that actually isn't that bad. He just needs a better situation. Is his best position going forward at the five? It might be, which makes it hard because so is Shingun. And that if they win the lottery. Well, that solves it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they win the lottery, then, you know, he's not going to play the five. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Vic is Victor Wimbayama. We're talking about. He's, I think he's good enough to where you can kind of put him in different spots all over the floor. Any number of in that positions, it in the position, good. one through five. <laughs> Keegan Murray, he is, I mean, he's, he was, he's always been quiet. His game is quiet, but he is on a team that is going to have home court advantage in the West. The Sacramento Kings are going to have home court advantage. He's been solid 12 points, four and a half rebounds per game. Is he has he exceeded expectations or is he about right where you thought he would be? For me, he met them. I, I had high expectations. If you remember, um, if you're a, a very devoted listener and remember my conversations from August, I, I, I had said, you know, what I really liked about him, it's hard to analyze summer week, but there was one takeaway I truly had, which was Keegan Murray's going to be able to play many roles and do all of those roles well. He's never going to be a guy who all right, you have to score 15 points. You have to just shoot the three, whatever. Like he can adapt to all these different things. Or excuse me, I said that wrong. You don't have to do all of these things at once. You don't need to play defense to like get to the rim, shoot, pass, all of them on the same night. Just do it different nights as other things are coming. Harrison Barnes is hitting the three. Boom. All right, play defense, hit the occasional shot when you're asked to. He has done everything he's asked to. And he's a big part of why the Sacramento Kings are going to their first playoffs in what, 20 years, 19 years, whatever it's been the longest drought, if I'm not mistaken, in North American sports. So shout out to them. Keegan Murray has been very good on both ends of the floor. He's done everything he's asked him to do. We're looking at a guy growing into a great, 
glue guy and, and something that every great team needs. Yeah, 41% from three, six attempts per game. Another guy that has a brother that's coming up in the 2023 class. And I wonder how his success will play a role in where his brother gets drafted. All right, let's talk about Jaden Ivey. There are some people that are kind of mixed with his, on, on their, their thoughts about his, his season. Actually, let's talk about Ivy and, and Jalen Duran. What have you thought about, about Detroit's one, their roster construction is really weird. But what have you thought about those two guys? I really like Jalen Duran. I think he's somebody who I was, I, I wish I had evaluated him as the youngest player in the draft rather than like an average aged center, because he is so advanced for what he does. I, I think he can defend the rim so well, and he's so raw at the same time. He just finds himself in the right spots at the right time. And it's not an accident either. He's just very fluid. I think he's a great glue guy. He's everything Detroit needs as that big man. So I really like him. Jaden Ivey. I think there's some left to be desired from him. It feels like that out of control. He played with the pace at Purdue. Hasn't been a good thing in the NBA and the shot just isn't there, but the good news for him is it feels just like a normal, you know, eh, he's not as good as a rookie. There's literally no worry, reason to worry. I don't think he doesn't have like a, if I'm not mistaken, his numbers are pretty similar to say De'Aaron Fox as a rookie. Like they're not far off across the board. I think that's something he's got going for him. And De'Aaron Fox has obviously turned out fine. Just had his first all-star appearance. I think Ivy will be good. I think the big telling for him is what happens if the Pistons get number two, because I, I think if they have Scoot and Cade, I really do think Ivy would be the odd man out on that one. And they can't, and maybe they take Brandon Miller, but who knows? I think that'll be an interesting thing. It'll say a lot about where the Pistons stand on Jaden Ivy. Yeah, I think it's just too early to give up on him, especially for an unknown. All right, let's talk about Shady Sharp, a guy who I think should be playing more minutes. I mean, it was pretty obvious to me as a Blazers fan that this season was not going anywhere even like weeks ago but I was shocked that they just threw Cam Reddish into the starting lineup at the time ahead of Shaden Sharp I mean like to me it just makes absolutely no sense you got a guy and I'm not a big Cam Reddish guy and I admit that if I could be a little bit biased but you got a guy that is he's young and he's very talented he's on his third team but I just don't understand the reason to just put him ahead of Shaden Sharp, who is obviously, at least in my opinion, should be like untouchable in Portland's future. Yep. And I don't know if they're bringing him along slow. I don't know. So the last few games where they've given him an opportunity to start and play more, he has shown that dude is really, really gifted. What have you thought about Shaden Sharp? Yeah. So first, just some context on the Cam Reddish stuff. Uh, I think this is the case, at least Mike Schmitz, who is now the assistant GM in Portland, was with Draft Express for several years. I mean, think over a decade. And one of his absolute favorite guys in 2019 was Cam Reddish. I, I think that could be in play there. Um, just kind of wanting to see what they got ahead of free agency. But Shaden Sharp, like you said, he should be absolutely untouchable. I mean, if Damian, Damian Lillard is moved on, obviously Anthony Simons will have the keys to the franchise. But after him, it's it's Shaden Sharp. This is a guy who was the number one recruit for what would have been this draft class. And I think he's somebody who he's already being asked to guard the best player on opponents on, on just on defense. And he's doing very well on offense, finding ways just to get to the basket. The shot, you know, it's not great. But again, kind of 
I mean, actually, I, I misread the numbers. He's shooting 36% from three. Like, that's actually way better than I thought. He's starting to look like, hey, it really might hit. Portland's been a great spot for development for guys just in general. I don't think Shaden Sharp's going to be any different. Yeah, man, he should play more. I mean, he's shooting 48% from the floor. So you got 48, 36, the 68, 69% from the free throw line could be a, a better indicator of his overall touch. But I just don't understand why he's not playing or why, why he's only started eight games and why he's only playing 20 minutes per game. Again, I, I thought Portland's season was pretty much over at – even by all-star break, he should be playing 30 minutes per game. And now Reddish isn't even starting the last few games. They're starting Watford, Trenton Watford over him. Somebody told me, NBA scout told me that they think that Portland is, um, you know, a Cam been a free agent. They don't want him to play too well because they think that could, it could raise his, his price. But then somebody else had mentioned that, he is who he is. He's an athletic guy. He's a tease. He's someone that has all these tools, and he's going to shoot. If he takes 10 shots, six of them are going to be three-pointers, and he's about a league average shooter from three. All right, let's talk about Jeremy Sohan. <laughs> so, a guy that you weren't too high on, and it's I, I guess it's safe to say that he has exceeded your expectations. <laughs> So let, let's let's just bring it back. At this time a year ago, you were pro Kendall Brown. You're Jeremy Sohan. Don't on me harder. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean, we 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 all have these, but what do you think is the difference between those two now as compared to where you were a year ago? I don't know what the behind the scenes work ethic is, but I mean, like Jeremy Sohan has done any like publicly, he has taken embarrassing routes to get better at shooting. And he doesn't care as long as he gets the results. Like he is very driven. I think it helps that he is at the right spot. And again, none of this has to do with Kendall Brown, just kind of praising Sohan is just, I mean, that one hand free throw, like it works. He knows it's not pretty. He knows it's not what any other NBA player really does, but he doesn't care because he's actually not a bad free throw shooter. So I think for him, the work ethic plus the spot he's in probably for one of the best spots for a player like him, an intelligent, hardworking Swiss army knife. It's a good spot for him. His offense has been better than I thought it would be uh, to be completely honest. That's where his obviously like everything has exceeded expectations. The defense I always knew was going to be good. I just really thought he was going to worry, be not good on offense. 45% from the field on 11 points a game with two and a half assists. Like that's really good for a rookie, especially when you consider that's a forward. Now the shooting has been bad. It's been worse than yeah. I thought. Oh yeah, twenty four percent from from three on, on two attempts per game. So we know exactly what he's going to be doing this off season. And yeah, it's just weird, man. Like coming into last season, I I had at one point I had Kendall Brown as a top ten guy. Jeremy was kind of rising, and I mean. Jeremy has scored probably more points if they played tonight, more points tonight than Kendall Brown has scored all year. If you had to take a wild guess, like why do you think he just hasn't been given the opportunity? You know, I really don't know. I, I think I need to pull up his G league stats to, to verify this, but I just don't think he's been shooting enough. It, he's had a few chances, but he's, it's been a little bit overwhelming for him in the NBA. 
Um, yeah, just looking at the G League stats, 29% from three. It's just not going to do it. And while he is getting assists and he's getting other stats, it's just you got to be able to shoot. And he he looked lost a lot of the time out there. So that's been worrisome. Yeah, there's been a few other rookies that I think have made an impact. But the guy that has probably been the biggest surprise is, I got to say his name slow. So I make sure oh, I get it right. That's what I think it is. Walker Kessler. Okay. Do you think he's going to be first team all rookie? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he fully deserves it. And that's coming from the number one Walker Kessler hater. Like, I, I got to redo. I'm changing my entire approach after what I did in 2022. I missed so hard on so many guys. But, yeah, Walker Kessler has been absolutely great. He's been a phenomenal rim protector. He's already, like, forget that he's a rookie. He's an above-average rim protector already and has a lot of room to improve. So that should be scary for the league. The block percentage has translated. The offense at the rim has translated. He's not a shooter. That was a big part of why I was down on him. I was like, well, he's not going to be able to shoot in there and I ask him to. They don't care that he can't shoot. So it's been really good to hear that he's been just so good. Yeah, I think next year you're going to start seeing teams pull him away from the rim. And that's going to be the you know the game plan against him. If I'm Donovan Klingen, I'm looking at Walker Kessler. Said it right. I'm looking at him and I'm like, you know what? I may need to go to transfer to another school because I think Adamo Sonobo comes back. Go to another school somewhere where I can start, play 30 minutes per game. Going to be a first round pick. I think they're very similar. I actually think Klingen moves a little bit better than than Kessler. Just my opinion. Well, thank you so much. That wraps up this episode. Big shout out to each and every person that made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Now, for your second listen, please check out Game to Game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Rafael Barlow with Richard Stamen, and we are out.